Tonight is Wednesday. It is uh, 8-26-2020, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for life, health, and strength that we have in the world, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Uh, also, Lord, we, we want to reach out and ask especially special prayer for Gordon this evening, who is in the hospital, praying for his healing and that you could uh, touch him in, in some way to, to put him back on his feet. Pray also for Marvin as well. And Father, we pray for those who are in the path of the storm that is uh, soon approaching. Uh, we're asking for your mercy in, in that respect, that those people will be safe from harm. Uh, also, the, the pandemic is still raging, uh, and we're praying for uh, wisdom as we find uh, the proper and best way to, to fight the virus, and we pray that we will all also be safe as we do. All of this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. All right, so we, as you know, are studying in the book of Romans, and we are at some pivotal verses in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to get to uh, some of these verses tonight. Uh, the one in particular, I think we left off, Romans eight nineteen. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So we're going to talk about that. And, and possibly, since all these verses are connected, we probably will have to talk about all three of them, uh, 19, 20, 21, and, and maybe even 22. So, but we'll, you know, as we think about verse by verse, we'll, we'll definitely touch on those. So before we do get into that, just briefly, we'll do, we'll do a, a Q&A session. If anybody has any questions, we could answer or talk about or thoughts. We're going to just open the floor. Probably have to take your phone off mute if you want to ask a question. All right, so uh, is everyone still there? I just want to make sure we haven't, I haven't lost you. Still here, sir. Yeah, we're still here. Okay, and, uh, that's good. <laughs> I just have a comment to make based on um, YouTube video that happened to be flipped into my feed, and it was a guy talking about um, abiding, and I immediately thought of John 15, and his question was, well, his his concern was that people are. Um, saying that they're saying to themselves, well, I'm only abiding when I'm good. Well, I'm only abiding when my belief is strong, or I'm only abiding on Sundays or something like that. He wanted to reassure everybody that Christ is abiding 100% um, based on his faith. And he was also making the point that we... <laughs> are abiding automatically by default just the same mm -hmm. and i just know that it's you know that salvation oriented thinking um rather than thinking that uh you know there's there's work to be done after we're faith and that's that's where the uh the work of abiding comes in it's, it's not just as easy as you know writing it off and saying, oh, yes, it's already done. I'm already abiding. I'm, I don't have to do anything. It's just automatic. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good comment because often that the salvation is confused with the walk of the Christian life. And uh, so once we, if we mix those things together, we come up with contradictions in scripture. 
For instance, Scripture talks about salvation is by grace, it is not of ourselves, the gift of God, not, not by works done in righteousness, and so forth. But when you talk about uh, the Christian way of life or walking, in, it definitely involves works. Right? There's, you know, it's, it's where it talks about, I can go on, John 15, since you mentioned it, is the one where he's giving us commands to remain in him and and if what happens if we do? What happens if we don't? So that bears on our volition. We have to abide in Christ, and we're we'll, we're getting into John fifteen very soon. So we'll be able to do our best to take that apart to to figure out what That's is actually true. And, being said. And, right, and, and Christ does not say, "Oh, don't worry about it. I'm abiding in you, so it's automatic for you, um, and you don't have to do anything." You know, disregard the fact that I'm giving you a command <laughs> right. doesn't really mean anything because it's automatic. Yeah, yeah I mean, so there's other scriptures like um, where it says in uh, Ephesians or Colossians where it says, you know, in Christ all of our sins are forgiven. But then you might go to 1 John 1, 9 where it says, well, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Well, does that mean since all of our sins are forgiven, we don't have to confess our sins, right? We can mix those things up. What are we mixing up? Salvation, right? In, in salvation, we are completely reconciled to God. All of our sins are, are forgiven from that respect. And then when it comes to our walk, it's about fellowship in 1 John 1, 9, where he clearly tells us how to maintain this joyous fellowship, which makes us complete, and, and what we need to do in order to maintain that. So we can't say, oh, what well, this One's the truth and the other one's not. That's why I say it, 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 if you didn't understand that there are two, two subjects there, you will have apparent contradictions in the word. So hopefully people will, under, will understand when it comes to what we are positionally. That's also another thought, what we do experientially. So good comment, though, because that is where we're headed. And I would say to that person... Um, that then we ought to are we disregarding the command of Christ here, nor that we must abide in Christ, right? This is this is mm -hmm. certainly like you said, it is a command. Uh, I would wonder. So, good thoughts. Other thoughts. So, so I, you know, I just have a comment on abide. The word abide, the Greek. Mm -hmm. uh, what what is you know, and I'm, I'm trying to look, but I haven't run across the Greek translation of abide exactly what it means. And uh, I'd be interested. I guess, do you, do you happen to know what the Greek translation sure. is? It's the, it's the Greek word meno. And uh, this, this comes from Thayer. Uh, it says, uh, to stay in a given place or state or relation or expectancy, abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry. So that's uh, that's Thayer's definition. I could go to Strong and see what he says. He says uh, to stay, basically the same, abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain. I've seen it translated different ways, abide, remain, stay, you know, there's, that's the, that's the admonition that is used. So really, the English is very accurate in this case of, uh, you know, remain, stay, in other words, uh, continue. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't really Thank see, you. I don't really see... Um, a reason to go to the Greek for every word if it's translated properly in English. If you look at it and it's there and you've, you've gone through this whole exercise and it means the same thing that's right there in front of you. <laughs> Unless there's some shade of meaning that you can draw from the Greek, that's where we would go. But trust me, I would be looking at remain. <laughs> that would be one word. Since it's, it, it is the word that that hinges on so much in this uh, chapter. We want to know how we are to remain. And, and later, as we get into it, 
will see what it means to abide or remain in him. And this is going to dovetail very nicely with the thought of what is the spirit of truth and how do we hear from the spirit of truth. It's because this is just my pet peeve. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, there is so much mystery and mystique and uh, people have this feeling that the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, anything is possible, you know. And many people can say the Holy Spirit says this and, and I feel a certain way. That's the Holy Spirit. Well, what we want to do is define that a little bit more. And now, of course, we can't, you know, uh, say that everybody has to have what we say. But at least what we want is that people look at what the scripture says about who the Holy Spirit is or, or how we're affected by the spirit of truth. Like what, what is, what is, because he's going to lead us, he's going to guide us, right? He has much more to tell us. We need to know how to hear from the Holy Spirit. We can't have that so uh, loose in our thinking that anything goes, right? A person steps up and says, I got the Holy Spirit, and this is what the Holy Spirit told me. And the next person says, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, right? I'm, lead, I'm led this way. Well, we trust that the Holy Spirit will do his job. There's no doubt. And I don't think he's ever not going to do his job. But what we want to do is understand what his job is exactly. So we're going to take some time. And that word, remain in me, is going to help us do that. You'll see as we get into it. I'll pause. All right. It does sound like quiet. Okay, so I guess that means we should head to Romans. All right, so let's head on to Romans then. Romans chapter 8. So here we go. Uh, I'll pick up to where we left off. Uh, I'll read a little bit earlier so we can pick up the context of it all. So verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we're going to stop there because I know we, want to, we did head into 19, but just remember that I consider word is logizomai. So Paul... Uh, what he it's like a calculation. What Paul did was it's like he took a calculator out, and he he did a uh, some sort of equation. Not that he really did, but this is the word he used. He figured it. He calculated it, and then when he the, the end of it was what was it? He says it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For us to do the the calculation that Paul did, so that we can come to the same conclusion we would need to compare both sides. So you'd have to compare what the suffering is, what you're going through in this world, and then you have to, be, you have to compare it with what the Bible says, what God has revealed to you is the glory that's going to be ours. So we already know what that is going to entail. Now, not that we have the experience of it, we don't, but we can know what, uh, is due us for those of us who are in Christ. We know what's coming. So as we consider what the suffering we have to go through, we compare it with what God has for us, what he has made of us, then he's, he's saying, Paul's calculation is it's not even worth comparing. So maybe we could save some time and just trust what the word says here. And not have to worry about going through this huge calculation. We could just say with the Apostle Paul, what God has given us so far outweighs what we go through or go or going through that it's not even worth the comparison. If we say that, then I think we're on solid ground. 
And boy, what we're getting ready to see in verses 19 and following is just a small portion of it. Because this is how we affect creation. So verse 19, let's move forward. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons, for the children of God to be revealed. So we started this verse last week. And this is what I, I read. There is a thought-provoking relationship between the children of God, the glory, and all creation. We should note the extent of our role is not anything we can imagine. It goes beyond our wildest imaginations. Quote, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's Ephesians 3.20. For those comparisons made, we are not equipped to understand our eternal role in its fullness. Paul says it's not worth comparing. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If that is the case, <laughs> it is so mind-blowing for what we are what's going to happen in the future for us what what we will be so it is almost incomprehensible but it is comprehensible because bible says what eye has what no eye has seen what no ear has heard what has not entered into the heart of man these are the things that god has prepared for those who love him so we are the recipients of this gigantic, enormous change that will happen. Imagine, I, I, I thought about it, and I, I realize that as I think about it, I, I kind of run out of words, adjectives to express what I really want to say. So one thought was, as I thought about it, was uh, where they were fishing, right? And so Peter... Uh, they were skunked, and they did not catch a thing. And they had been fishing all night. And we're talking about professional fishermen, not people who go out on the weekends to have fun and, and, and boast. But we're talking about people who do this for a living. So they, they went, and they know the area too, right? It's not like they're fishing in some new spot. So when they, uh, when they f couldn't, catch anything. And then Christ came and told them to cast their nets on a certain side of the boat. And they scoffed at first, especially Peter. He was like, well, come on, don't you think you know more than us? You, who are you again? So anyway, they did it. Now I may be mixing the stories up, don't worry, but this is the thought. So when that happened, Oh yeah, yeah. This is where Peter was on the uh, the uh, on the boat, and Christ was on the seashore. So when that happened, Peter was he couldn't believe it. He 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 didn't have words to describe what he felt at that time. And he said, "What manner of man is this?" And when you think about what he was saying, and I looked into that, it was like, what kind of man is this? And then there was another time when there was the wind and the waves, and I might be mixing these up, but just to note, this is uh, where Jesus was asleep in the hull of the boat. And when Peter says, don't you care that we're perishing? In other words, Peter had already assigned them the boat to go down, right? To sink and everybody on the boat to die. That's how terrible the storm was. And he's a fisherman. He's out on the water. And this storm was so hor horrific that he figured they were going to perish. Jesus stands up after they wake him up and he calms the sea. And imagine the kind of power and again, he, Peter was so astounded by this that he, he couldn't 
find words to describe what and who Jesus was. Jesus not only had power over the wind and the waves, we're talking about a furious storm. Imagine that hurricane that's getting ready to hit in um, New Orleans and Louisiana. And somebody comes along and says, peace, be still. And that storm just, just lays down. And the water just is calm like glass. Can you imagine what kind of power it would take that and that is that's not even all of what we're talking about i'm talking about somebody who has tremendous power to do such a thing christ has power over over the winds and the waves and all of that but this power that we're reading about here in verse 19 for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of god to be revealed now i noticed that in the King James Version, um, it has, it translates this verse as the creature. So, uh, but I think, and, and just to note, this is not a total thing that we could say is wrong, but it's really talking about creation and it's personifying creation. But, so it really should be the creation. And, and almost every other translation you can think of, and even the New King James Version, has translated this creation. And you can get that from the context. But they translated it creature. I would translate it creation. That's just to, just so to know, because people still read the King James. But it is good to understand from the context that in this verse it's talking about creation. Now creation, that's huge. Never mind calming a sea or telling somebody to throw their nets on one side and then all of a sudden they come up with all these fish. That, this, this is something far beyond all of that. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So, we need to talk about uh, how this works a little bit, and we'll go through it. I got a couple notes here. So, the earth was cursed or judged. And if we go to Genesis three, seventeen through nineteen, when when did this happen? Uh, so, we'll talk about this from Genesis for a minute. Genesis three, seventeen through nineteen. It says. This is after Adam and the woman disobeyed God. And God, they hid, remember. They made fig leaves for themselves. And then uh, God confronts them. And then now, he hands out judgments, right? So the woman got her judgment, the serpent, right, and all that. So now Adam is getting his in verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. Wait, my one? Yeah, about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So this cursed is the ground because of you is the first part of it. So God cursed the earth. He judged the earth. He not only judged Adam... And this is the day you eat a, the fruit, you're going to surely die. You Dying, you will die. But he also now cursed the earth. Uh, and, and what are some of the results of it? Through pain, painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Now, obviously, this wasn't a part of uh, the way the earth was in the original creation. It wasn't. And it goes on further. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants from the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and from dust you will return. So when I look at 17 through 19, we see God judging or cursing the earth. And that's good to know because, you know, when we get to the millennium, things will be changed, right? The creation, obviously, is personified as eagerly in expectation, right? 
and, but because it's cursed, so it needs some relief, right? So when we, we go back to Romans, I want to go back to Romans real quick because it's tough here without reading the rest of Romans, some of the verses here. Here, so if you look at verse uh, 19, we read, verse 24, the creation was subjected to frustration. Now this frustration is a good word to look at because it has to do with uh, being futile. I'm going to show you what it means in, in the Greek here. Why not look at that? So the, it was made subject, here it is. And guess what that word is? Matiotes. Sounds like a familiar word, huh? It's emptiness or vacuum. It says figuratively trans, transientness, mor, moral, morally depravity, vanity, futility. So that's one way of uh, looking at it. Here, what is devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, depravity, frailty, want of vigor. So these are some of the ways when it says uh, the earth was subjected to futility. This is verse 21. Uh, I'm sorry, 20. It was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. And we'll get to the next verse. So the earth and creation... Now notice, we're saying creation. It's not just the earth, not just the seas, not just the air. It's just all creation has this curse on it. Now, let's, we had this verse, these verses in Scripture. I really don't know if we would have come to these conclusions without them. Because people will just assume that this is just the way it is. And, you know, we talk about Mother Nature and all this stuff. And even if we talk about the pandemic and how the earth is wearing out like a garment and, and all these things that are happening on the earth, this you know, uh, global warming and all these different things, you could say that it is part of what this earth is uh, and the curse. Because if God didn't create the earth for all of this, it would have lasted forever. And creation wouldn't have needed to have been rescued but in this case it was cursed and as a result of the curse what will eventually happen to the earth it will be destroyed and not only the the earth but the heavens as well so we notice that in the millennium there's going to be a thousand years on the earth and in that thousand year period there will be a restoration of this earth so we know that that doesn't happen until the second coming of Christ. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures so we can see some of the character of what would happen during this restoration period. Now, I'm going to, the first one is in Isaiah. We're, we're, we're going to go to the Old Testament for these. So Isaiah chapter 2. Let's look at that one first. So Isaiah 2, just a couple verses, 2 through 4. So it says, uh, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I like this part. He will judge, verse 4, between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So this is a couple of things that we see already. The Lord's going to come. This is part of uh, what's going to happen when Christ comes back in the second coming. Uh, there will be, I love this verse 4, there will be justice. He will judge, he will settle disputes, 
and there will be no war. Conversely, what we find in Matthew, Jesus said uh, in Matthew 24, he says there will be wars and rumors of wars. And what? Until I come. Now, here we see when Christ comes, there will be no more war. This is part of the character. Now, just notice what also happens if we go to Isaiah chapter 11. Just skip on down to 11. You're already there. So I'll start from one. One, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or dis- or decide by what he hears with his ears. Get this, but the righteousness, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, listen to the ferocity of animals here. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. A cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the waters uh, as the waters cover the sea. So it continues. If you kept reading this, you will see more. Some of the qualities of the millennium. In Isaiah 65, there's more. In fact, this was the hope of Israel. So you will find scattered around verses all throughout the Old Testament about the millennium because it was the very hope of Israel. In verse 25, 65, 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw and the ox dust, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all the holy mountains, says the Lord. So, what will happen to the earth is what we're seeing is a restoration of the earth. Uh, Christ will come, there will be plentiful food, there will be no more desert, there's no more war, no more uh, all of that. Uh, there will be justice on the earth. Christ will be reigning from Jerusalem. And uh, now, also, what we have, if we go to Revelation, that that is the restoration of the earth. Because uh, Revelation chapter 20 will start. Okay, So here's where, where it all happens. It begins in Revelation 19, where Christ comes from in the second coming. But here, in chapter 20, Here it is, I saw verse 1, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free. For a short time, so so there's a thousand years of where Satan is going to be free from this earth. Uh, he will not be um, able to deceive the nations. Why? Because he will be bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. So this this is that period we were talking about. There will be no more war. There will be this. There will be that. The, the ferocity of animals, nature. There will be no more sea. All of that. So then we see uh, more interesting things. It says in verse 4, I saw the thrones, I saw thrones on which were seated those who have been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded uh, because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They have not, they had not worshipped the beast or his image 
and they had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now this is on earth, a thousand years. So just as like we said, this is where there's peace on earth. Christ is going to reign. Uh, a child will be a hundred years old. You'll still be a child. All these things you could, there's lots more you could read in the Old Testament about it, which we didn't give, but this is good for research. But then look at five. The rest of the dead did not come to life until after, until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. So during this thousand years, which Revelation describes as there will be people who were in the tribulation, right? they reign with Christ a thousand years. Christ, if you look at uh, the seven churches, it talks about Christ saying that if we overcome, we will. I will grant you to sit with me on my throne and so forth. Well, uh, that's a privilege for those who also who endured the tribulation and did not and refused the mark under great duress uh, of the beast, and yet they reigned and lived with Christ a thousand years. So, so now we know this thousand-year period is there. Verse 7, when the thousand years are over, what will happen? Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out and deceive the nations and so forth. So now that's the, what we would call the restoration of the earth. Christ is going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom. The, the topography of the earth will change when he comes back. And all of those things will be true. So in verse 21, however, we have this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and it was no long and it was no longer any sea. And then he talks about the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So what we have is God creating, after he does the renovation, Christ comes, he sets up his kingdom, he rules for a thousand years. Then after that, what happens is God creates a new heavens and a new earth. If we go to Second Peter, what happened to the first heaven and the first earth? Second Peter 3 tells us that. 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. So this, this being destroyed, this earth, this heavens and this earth. When we say the heavens and earth, what is that? That's the universe. The, the earth including all of the universe is going to be destroyed and there's going to be a new creation and uh, and this creation will be the final eternal state so back to romans just wanted to make sure we understood a little bit about how this all shakes out and back to romans 8. so when we talk about the creation was subjected to frustration we know yeah it was created it's it really parallels us, doesn't it? Well, I'm not making that analogy. Paul makes it if you look at verse 23. Not only so, we are, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So uh, it's talking about the whole creation groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only that, we ourselves. So what does that mean? It says we are still, these. we are in these bodies of corruption. And until we get our resurrection bodies, we, we will not have the adoption to sonship, which means the fullness of what God had planned for us from eternity past. That is our calling, that we would be, uh, like it says, uh, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless in his sight and love he predestined us to be adopted as sons that's ephesians 1 4 and 5 that's us so we're going to be free from this state of existence 
And it will be a tremendous difference for us, not just a little. Remember we talked about that we have the deposit, which is a small percentage of what God is going to give us later. The Holy Spirit is the deposit of our inheritance until the purchased possession, right? To the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians 1.13. So when we have the small deposit, what's going to happen when we get all of it? The deposit guarantees what we have. Well, that guarantee is sure to come. When will it come? When we receive our resurrection bodies. To wit, the adoption of sons. So, just some thoughts on verse 19. That eager expectation. Right? So I looked up that word, and it says the creation waits an intense, another word, a couple ways of saying it is intense anticipation. There's something that the creation is waiting to receive. Now it says the creation, look at verse um, 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. So now, wait a minute. Isn't this what happened to us? It's the same thing. It parallels our sojourn. We were subjected to frustration. What is this frustration? As we're born spiritually dead, condemned already, and have a sin nature. Three things against us when we're born into this world. I call it SDOA. Spiritually dead on arrival. That's what we are. S-D-O-A. And every person that's born in Adam is born this way. And the results, God has to separate himself from us because of who we are. He, his justice condemns us because of what Adam did. By one sin, therefore, just as uh, by one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And in this way, death spread to all men, right? So, uh, and then we have a sin nature. We, because of the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So in the same way, God, you could say he cursed us, right? With these things that happened to us, which we call the bad news. Right? When we tell people how we're lost, it goes far beyond you just confessing you're a sinner. And I know people have that. Oh, here's step one. Confess you're a sinner. The person says, I'm a sinner. Okay, good. Step two. <laughs> no. To understand the extent of the bad news helps you understand the extent of what God has done in the good news. The good news is related or relative to the bad news. Just know that. So when we think about ourselves, we have gone through the same experience. We And how did we get here? Was it by our, our will? No. <laughs> but by the will of him. Who's the will of him? That's the will of God. God is the one that put the earth in this type of situation. God is the one who put us in this situation where we're born spiritually dead under the wrath of God and condemned with an old sin nature. Where does it say that at? Well, it says Adam. Right, we just read that uh, in chapter seven. Uh, seven, here it is. We know here at verse fourteen. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And here it is, sold as a slave to sin. We're this is not by our choice. We're sold as a slave to sin. And how did that happen? It happened because of what Adam did. What Adam did to us uh, is one thing. Adam sinned. But who made it so that because of what Adam did, the results would, would flow to every human being? Uh, how come I'm born dead? Why am I not born perfect? Why couldn't I be born without a sin nature? Why am I born spiritually separated from God? I don't have any understanding of who God is. Why? 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 I can ask those questions. I hear some background noise. Uh, hopefully put your phone on mute, please. So when we have all that, right, you did not choose the situation in which you were born. You did not choose it for yourself. So what does that mean? It means that this was ha God did this. Now, you could say, well, well, Adam did it. 
I said Adam did it. But what I really meant to say is that this is the design of God, right? When we think about how did this happen for us, God designed this, this just this way. I mean, angels were created perfect. God, God didn't, they, angels don't pro procreate at all. So every angel was created perfect from the hand of God. And when we are created, if angels were created perfect, and each one of them had to make a decision to, to follow Satan. Each angel would have had to make that, make that decision. So for us, that is not the case. We're born, Adam made a decision, and that decision is for everybody. So when God, when Adam also made the decision and God brought judgment, he also judged the creation as well. And we see that it will be lifted during the millennium, as we saw, where the, the earth will change, Christ will rule from this earth, and God will eventually, after the thousand years are over, God will destroy the earth and the heavens. Right? Everything, and he will make a new heavens and a new earth. So, just so we understand, there's parallels between us and how we came into being and who we are. And, and then there's parallels to Christ. And both of us, back to Romans 8 now, both of us are in eager expectation. Look at verse 20, uh, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth. You know, uh, I, I have seen what it is for a woman getting ready to have a child, and it's tough. In fact, I don't have the heart for it, or the stomach, or whatever you want to say. It's tough. And then that child comes, and then it's like a whole new world on that child. But so it says that the whole creation has been groaning in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit in, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait. So these are simultaneous events. What happens to us affects what happens to the world. As we get our resurrection bodies, then the earth, the creation, will receive their freedom. And where's the freedom? Here it is. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So it is the children of God that creation is waiting for. This is what... Now, imagine that. I mean, why should we have anything to do with the creation? How does that work? And the fact is that we were subjected to frustration. The earth was and, was, and the world was subjected to frustration. We will be free. And so, when, when will the earth be free? There's another verse in Colossians that also talks about that. Uh, let me just turn to it. Colossians 3. So, when Christ, verse 4, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this glory that we saw in Romans is the same glory that the creation is waiting for, right? So for the, to be revealed. So here it is, I consider the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We affect all creation. Who are we? What manner of people are we that, that we show up in our glorified bodies and we affect not just earth or some state or city or place on earth or the waters. or No, we affect all creation. The curse is the, is the creation itself, verse 21, is liberated from its bondage to decay. Now there it is. The earth is slowly in a state of decay. It's like it says. The earth is like a garment that is, is just wearing out. 
it is slowly deteriorating and it will be brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Talk about power. I can't even understand or phantom the power that it takes to affect all creation. Now, it's not really us. I, I have to just say that. It's the fact that we are in Christ. And I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1 for that. And I see we're going to have to quit here soon. Ephesians chapter 1. And we read it 150 times. But here it is, 151. Verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. He's talking about uh, all things. That's all creation. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's us and our eternal role, our eternal state. God created us to be that way. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be this, far above all, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one come any future age so we have this position in christ where we share everything he is what is everything he is who is christ in this regard and or in relationship to the creation colossians 1 15 let's start start there the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation, the preeminent one over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. I like these last three words. And for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, consist. Remember we talked about that, where uh, God didn't just create all things, and it th all things don't need maintenance. All things need to be taken care of, maintained, held together, able to consist. Christ is the glue that holds all things together. Now, guess what? He is the head of the body, verse 18, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile, and through and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is the person that we're talking about. When we read about him, there's no problem. for uh, All things were created by him. Without him, there was not one thing made that has been made. That's John 1, 3. Not one thing. So we rightfully say Christ is the creator of all things. And we, we can easily place him. Well, he's the creator. Yeah, he's at the hub of all the spokes of creation. We can easily say that. But us, the fact that we're in him and we now take on that role, that is amazing and astounding. All things are under our feet. Now, it sounds pretty lofty to say such things, right? It does. I'll turn to the last scripture. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here it is. So they were arguing about who's the greatest. Whether it was Paul, Apollos, Peter, uh, whether it was Jesus. Right? There was, the point was there was all these factions in the church. Which one would you have been in? Would you have been out following Paul? Would you have been following Peter or Apollos? Which one would you have followed? I just, I just don't even think about it. You wouldn't have followed any of them spoken of. They're spoken of so uh, despairingly. 
So we know that that's the wrong way to go. So Paul says, uh, says, uh, and this is three. So then, verse 21, no more boasting about human leaders. What are human leaders anyway? I mean, come on. So listen to this, all things are yours. These are Corinthians who are having trouble. These are the same Corinthians that in the beginning of the chapter, he said to them, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, fleshly. You're operating by the flesh, mere infants in Christ. They're in Christ, they're saved, but they're still worldly. I gave you milk and not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, but since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly or carnal, or fleshly? Are you not acting like mere humans? You're acting like you're not even saved. You're, act, you're allowing your, the sinful nature to control you. But these are the same people he wrote here. All things are yours in verse 21. Don't, that, that's unequivocally astounding to me. The fact that all things belong to us. And then what, what do you mean all things? Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Now, it would be one thing if we said that is about all that lofty, those lofty things about God. People were like, yeah, amen, amen. But when those lofty things are directed toward us, it says that we're in the same position as Christ. Right? And that's, that's the story we read from Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that... Uh, Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like. Now he's talking about us. He's going to give an analogy. That power is the same as what happened to Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him on high and above all principalities and powers and all that, and above any title that can be possibly named. That's us that he's talking about. We have been raised to that level. The same place. And in chapter 2, it clearly just comes right out and says it. It says, oh, maybe this is our last one. And then we're really done this time, I promise. Ephesians 2, where he says he saved us in verse um, 6 beginning. Actually, uh, yeah, 6. 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So how is it? That's how we affect the world because of the position that we now have. We already are there, those of us who are saved positionally experientially we will be uh, this will be who we are in the eternal state all creation will be affected because of it we will never be the same when this happens for us it will be it'll be a greater metamorphosis than the moth to a butterfly it will be something beyond what eye has seen or ear has heard or has entered into the heart of man. So if all the wisdom of and treasures of knowledge of all of that is in Christ, that it, that it remains to be seen what we are in him. So we're going to have to quit. I know. We'll talk more about this next week. And uh, I think we're making some progress. Yeah, in this. So before we quit, are there any questions? And we're gonna have our time. We'll pause for just to see if there are any anything that isn't so far clear from what we discussed.
All right. We will, we will pray. Father, thank you for this time and the understanding that you've given us in Scripture. Thank you for your word that has been preserved for us. And we can trust it. In fact, we can trust our very lives to it. We thank you for those who have come to the Bible study. We pray that we will have wisdom and fellowship as we forge ahead into your word. Thank you so much for calling us from eternity past. We can't imagine the glory that will be revealed in us. So we pray uh, all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in him that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.